Imagine a world without waste. Imagine if you can make products and packaging right every time. It's possible with the help of SpecRite, the first cloud-based platform for specification data management. You can track and report on material usage year over year, run LCAs with the click of a button, and comply with new packaging regulations like EPR and the UK plastics tax. Go to specrite.com backslash sustainability to learn more. Hey, thanks, Laura. Everybody, please also go check out Spectrite's podcast, Beyond the Shelf with Laura Foti, F-O-T-I. It's a wonderful podcast, again, about packaging. There's so many cool content creators out there, and Laura is certainly one of them. Also, we'd love to have you come and check out the Specrite Packaging Specifications Summit in Austin, Texas, January of 2024. I will be there along with Corey Connors, host of Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and Avelio Matos host of Packaging Unboxed podcast. Laura will be there. There There's so many folks who are there in the packaging industry. It is a tremendous, tremendous time and a great place. Again, all these links will be down in the show notes, including joining myself, Corey and Avelio, every single Monday morning on LinkedIn and on YouTube for Packaging Today. We break down the news, but we also have fun, tell jokes, Uh, We enjoy each other. It's a building and blossoming community there of packaging people. And everyone is a packaging person. Everyone is a packaging buyer. And everybody is welcome on the Packaging Today show. Again, click the link. You can get notified on it on LinkedIn or on YouTube. And the packaging community continues to grow with my next guest. Let's get right to the interview. Hey, everybody. I'm joined here today on the People of Packaging podcast with... Uh, my new friend and along with his dog who i've been able to meet in the background of the video which is great uh uh, joined here by nick bradley nick is the i didn't even ask what would what's what would be your title there founder owner chief everything officer do you have any fun titles uh, i I mean there's been so many honestly i've just been going by co-founder lately i think okay wearing a lot of hats wearing a lot of hats doing a lot of drinking so wherever that puts me in puts me in the totem pole including a an awesome year if you're listening to this nick's got this cool dio cocktails hat on so he's literally wearing the dio cocktails hat uh joined by nick bradley co-founder and chief hat wearer at uh, dio cocktails and we connected up um actually through packaging so um, was able to be part of some cool like influencer kit packaging and um, and then some other packaging for Dio cocktails and thought we should just talk about you and your journey and everything on the podcast because you have an eye for packaging that I think is is neat and is part of your history and your and your journey. So let's start there. Uh, we don't know you. Um, we don't know who you are and you got a bunch of packaging nerds listening to a packaging podcast. <laughs> Uh, so why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to being the co-founder at Dio. Yeah, no. Well, first of all, thanks so much for letting me join today. I'm super excited. I, um, still, I mean, I, I'm so flattered by all the really positive feedback we received from what we did with Dio because I think that it was a really unique design approach. And honestly, it was um, it was a bold one, too, in a world of minimalism to really come out with something, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's, it's just, again, it's really flattering, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, as we were just, as you were chatting, I, I, funny enough, I was having some memories towards my earlier part of my career, uh, which I actually started in advertising. Um, my first job was in Chicago 
at an advertising agency called BBDO. Wrigley was my first client. And I don't know if you remember Five Gum. They were the yeah. crazy commercials. So I, I worked on I worked on that account for a while. And obviously not, not as involved in packaging, but took me off to my, my second agency job where I did have my first uh, foray into, into packaging. And I remember my first big packaging project was a dog food line, not around anymore. But, um, you know, that was my first introduction into it. But, uh, you know, in terms of how I got it, it has been a long journey. I, I'd say I am a serial entrepreneur at heart. Um, I've touched a lot of different industries at this point, uh, whether through agency life or consulting. Um, and, you know, I'd say from once I kind of left that agency world uh, and started my first business, which is a men's swimwear line called Pangea, uh, I started that around 2014. Um, and that was a really interesting time to be in men's e-commerce and I've had that business now since then. So, I mean, I guess we're almost approaching 10 years now, um, from the men's swimwear line, I always was kind of had my hand in a few other projects. I've done everything from women's skincare. Uh, I've worked on rugs now, I'm not even going to be able to remember all of them at this point, but, uh, most recent one, of course, is, is men's, Eo, men's, men's swimwear. Sorry, men's swimwear, and then you just casually are like, women's skincare, rugs, something. I'm like, wait a second, just rugs. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it's you know the interesting thing about, uh, and I mean, it's it's a, an amazing piece about being in the client service business, especially you know whether it's agency or consulting, is that you know I've I've gotten to touch so many different industries. I mean, I one of my big biggest projects in 2000. 17 was a brand called Juicero, which I don't know if you're familiar with. It was a big tech um, piece where it was at home juicing and it had this $500 press where you would get juice packets, fresh uh, cut, you know, vegetables and fruit delivered to you in packets. You put it in the machine and it would press. And so it's literally been a pretty wild ride. I mean, I, I can honestly say I've worked on YouTube and Google. It's been, it's been pretty fair, but I mean, my heart really does lie in cpg and, and apparel and i honestly i like the physical good world um it, it's where i think i'm most passionate so but yeah it's been it's been a wild journey for sure and i mean um kind of back to your original question i think i you know with pangea pangea has taken me truly all over the world and that is kind of the the thesis behind the brand which is creating swimwear for the worldly gentleman is our tagline and you know when i first started that brand i, I wanted to create a uh, really tailored swimsuit and use designs and art and everything from around the world to create these like truly unique patterns. And that's like, was my, really my first business that I went into. Um, as I mentioned, that business has taken me everywhere. I started in LA. I moved to South America. I lived in uh, Medellin for almost two years where I oversee all of our production there. Um, and then, uh, you know, from 2019, I got a call from my business partner, Bronson. Um, and Bronson Van Wyk uh, is a very well-known event planner, very respected event planner, um, has a private client business and also an experiential arm. And he actually hit me up to um, help him relaunch his line of cocktail mixers that he launched. He had, he had himself in 2013. Um, long story short, I jumped in with, as I normally do, I went all in and uh, I convinced him to rebrand. Together we came up with Dio, uh, Dio being short for Dionysus. And really kind of playing into the world of hospitality that he obviously is, is such a figurehead and um, but kind of more on the hedonism side, which I think again was really, really playing into everything that was happening during COVID as well. I think everyone was feeling so pent up and it was kind of this place where I feel like a lot of people were really giving in the inhibitions. It was like every day was happy hour and 
you know, pizza was, was for dinner most evenings. And so when we created Dio back in 2020, we obviously had no idea what we were in store for the next couple of years, but um, started off as a cocktail mix line. And, you know, then over the course of a bunch of crazy supply chain events ended up into the world of King cocktails. Got it. Got it. That's a, that is a wild ride. Um, The, the thing that I thought was, was fascinating is you talk about how you've, you, you've touched all these different industries and the thing that I love about being in the packaging industry is that there's a similarity there where a a press like for example you know, i grabbed uh this beautiful you know drink you see drink divinity here and this this box that we made this is like a a jet varnish you know kind of pattern varnish on a matte black and but this you know th- this runs on a on a printing press right it's an offset printing press that could also produce it produces this beautiful elegant you know sleeve for this influencer kit and it can also produce uh, boxes for automotive parts mm-hmm. and uh, medical device catheters or just like the press is, is pretty agnostic to what what it's going to make. I mean, there there are certain things that run better or not. But like at the end of the day, being in packaging means that you do get to do exactly what you just described in your career. We get to I, I get to be part of multi-level marketing companies and cannabis companies and canned cocktail companies and on down the list even getting into like industrial applications car batteries and tires and it's packaging touches every industry so for me that's been one of the joys of my career has been able to interact and talk with people it's just it's neat to meet a fellow uh, a fellow world traveler who has traversed the 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 various landscapes of commerce even from worldly what what did you say uh worldly worldly gentleman one more for the worldly gentleman yeah yeah that's awesome down to to what you're doing now with dio so i'm curious as you've as you've gone through that how has maybe your perception of product packaging um and especially now that you're in you know you're in a can and you probably didn't think about this when you went into canned uh, you know, canned alcoholic beverages, but like the can, the aluminum can industry at that time was also undergoing its own sorts of struggles and, and problems. And you, you were probably like, Whoa, what just happened? We just thought you just put the thing in the can and now we're finding out it might not be so easy. So I'd be, I'd be really curious to find out as you've journeyed, how has your view of packaging maybe evolved, um, and, and shifted a little bit. All right, let me just jump in here real quickly because this is super exciting. Uh, My wife and I and our kids came out with this book, Packaging Peaks in the Sticky Situation. It took us a couple of years to write. We spent a lot of time in illustrating and all that. It's finally out. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at mascotbooks.com. There's a link down in the show notes that you can click. We wrote it because I was trying to describe to my kids you know, what it's like. And there's all these children's books out there about various different industries and about various different jobs. We wanted people in our industry to have a book to be able to relate to their kids with. So go pick it up, please. It would mean so much to support us. Packaging Peaks in the Sticky Situation on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Let's get back into this interview. 
Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's like, again, I just have this like flood of memories from all the different clients that I've had and, and honestly, all the different packaging challenges that we've faced, because I think, you know, where we've landed, even with a lot of the stuff that we ended up doing with Dio, um, which was definitely, um, for the most part, we, we try to be as sustainable as possible within this. That definitely wasn't where I started. You know, I remember like some of my first brands, like sustainability was starting to be part of the conversation, but not really. It was still about, you know, owning shelf space or gaining shelf space and, and making something super differentiated. Um, I think one of the one of the bigger turning points for me was the skincare industry. I think that that was the first time that I had really, you know, you had skincare packaging is, is literally like 30% of it, 30, 40% of like what you got to do. I mean, obviously the product itself matters. And as I mentioned, I didn't, I actually helped put together a women's skincare line for a friend of mine who's a really well-known esthetician in LA. And then I worked on Ors and Alps, which is uh, a pretty large men's skincare line. Um, and I think, you know, while I didn't do any packaging work for Ors and Alps, I, I always saw a lot of the stuff they were doing. And I think it was really interesting too, the feedback we started getting, especially it was like global warming started becoming more of a conversation. I remember a lot of the feedback that we were getting, especially online, was, you know, that people were, they wanted more sustainable packaging. Like they, there was like this, this shift, which I, I thought was super interesting at that point, because you'd always been more so that, you know, you always had seen like these videos and the Instagrams was like, look how beautiful this is. And it was the first time I ever started hearing more feedback of people saying, yes, we still want beautiful packaging, but we also want it sustainable. And it's funny because, I mean, you know, you definitely will be able to agree with this. Those two don't always line up, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. And I think that's like, that was a really interesting piece for me. For for Dio, I mean, um, I I have to be honest, I had no idea what I was getting to when I when I decided to jump in with Bronson. I think coming in with the cocktail mix line, uh, you know, we, we made this massive mistake, such a rookie mistake. And um, we really wanted to come out the gate and be a luxury cocktail mix. And it was the same thing for the canned cocktails. And luxury, I, I think, claiming premier luxury is, it's easy to say it, but I think you, you really have to show it. And then you have to show it through the packaging. And then it also has to be shown through with the product. And so, you know, for us with the cocktail mixers, I wanted to create something that could be, um, we could proudly display on a bar card, uh, something that people would be, you know, it wasn't like your other cocktail mixes that maybe you use and then you throw away immediately because you didn't want your guests to know that you used the mix. And I wanted to do that something very differently. Same with the canned cocktails. I wanted to create something that was people could be really proud to hold on to. And so I guess where I'm going with that is we made the mistake with the cocktail mix line, which is how we got into canned cocktails. We made the mistake of trying to create a custom glass bottle in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, that took about three years, honestly, to get it right. Um, and so, you know, I think going back to your question with the cans, that is the interesting thing about the cans is there's there's so much going on on the outside and the inside that you have to consider. I had no idea when we first got started in this, you know, again, for a high ABV uh, cocktail, we use fresh juices more so than most any other cocktail out there or can cocktail out there. Um, and we use a very particular can size. We use a, a 200 milliliter can is not common size and so it was interesting because you know not only were we running issues with sleeving where we were basically trying to figure out how can we do sustainable sleeving which is kind of an oxymoron to be honest and then on the other thing it was like the inside of the can where there's several different types of can liners and it was so important to find the particular type of can liner that actually went out so it's been a huge learning curve for all of us honestly i mean it's been and honestly it's shifted more and more i think 
that, you know, we're going back. I feel like we're almost going into like a, an interesting place now where, you know, beautiful packaging is, is almost like kind of like back in a little bit in my opinion. Um, but there's still that, that need for sustainability. So it's like finding that balance between the two. Totally. I, uh, I walked that similarly with, uh, so with my son and I've talked about this before, people are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but, uh, my son is 16 and I have been encouraging him when he started high school two years ago to start a business. So we came up with a men's skincare product for, for dry elbows and hands called Weenus lube. <laughs> and, and we, and like I'm in packaging and I know contract packagers and I know, so we, we tested all this stuff out. We got everything ready and then it came down to buy packaging. And, and I realized I'd been on the manufacturing and design and kind of consulting side of, of packaging for, for 15, 16 years now, but I'd never been on the brand owner. I have to make decisions about not only sustainability, but supply chain costing retail margins, all of that stuff. And I'm trying to help navigate this. And we just ended up going a stock tube with a label because we got to get the product out. I don't have time or money for custom molds and, uh, you know, doing all the, there's a lot of really cool sustainability type options that I wanted to put. But at the end of it all, I was like, we're going to put a conformable tube label on a squeezy tube because you have them. And we, it's time we're going to make the product. <laughs> and so it, it was a, it was an interesting thing. And I would imagine as you're going through this kind of new to the cocktail space with, like you mentioned, it's, it's, there's, there's corrosion issues with, you know, with aluminum, especially when you're dealing with high ABV and fresh juices and barrier properties that you have to bring in. And then also, uh, you know, filling and, and canning and, and I'm guessing you're buying blank, you said sleeving. So you're buying blank cans because you can't hit the minimums for, for printing the cans, Rotogravir. So now you got to put a shrink sleeve on it. What does that do to recycling? And are your, are the people that like your product, are they going to be frustrated that they're really supposed to take the sleeve off before they recycle it? And there's a lot, there's a lot there that I'm, I'm guessing at the time you were not, you're just sort of perpetually unveiling as you go down each sort of step and going, Oh yeah, we haven't thought about that. Yeah. I guess we got to test that. I guess we got to do a drop test here. I guess we got to figure out this thing and on and on and on. Yeah, no, I mean, well said. I mean, one of the things you said about your, your son's business line, I think you guys did the right move though, because it is this balance between, um, you know, you have your wants and desires, you know, which is obviously you want to make outstanding packaging that stands out and, you know, you want it to be sustainable and you want it to be all good, but, Realistically, I mean, when you're a startup, and especially if you're a bootstrap startup, the smartest thing that you can do is go with the stock packaging, get it out of market, get feedback, build the brand, and then elevate yourself into that dream packaging, I think. And so I think that was the right move. You're teaching them the right, all the right lessons right now, the lessons I wish that I had known three years ago when I started Dio. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is exactly that. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I would say that has been really amazing, at least in the can industry, and this is a very recent development, like last eight months, is they finally, there is, there's definitely, I, I would assume, new technology that's come out that there are now the minimums and the MOQs for direct can printing have finally become into reach for a brand of our size, you know, where we're not Budweiser. And so our actual, our next run, um, we're going sleeveless, which is 
nice. I'm so excited about honestly. And you know, I mean, there's it's nothing against sleeves. The sleeves, obviously, they were beautiful. Um, but I think again, it's it makes more sense from a supply chain um, point. It's like one less kind of touch point material, et cetera. Um, and it really actually makes the co-packing process a little bit easier. Um, and so I, I, I had to really, Bronson and I are very particular about the packaging as, as you look at DO, hopefully that comes across, but you know, with sleeving, one of the challenges that I had with it is that when you go through the whole um, production process and you get to that last stage, there's when the sleeve is applied, there's typically a cutting process at the top. It's very hard to get that cutting process to be seamless so that it can go all the way to the top. And also yep. so that it's more or less standard across all cans. And it, drove us crazy that we would have thousands of cans and they would all be like different sizes at the top based on when that sleever went. And so it's one of the beauties of direct can printing. And so, I mean, it is for me, I've been so excited that that technology is coming out. It's still rolling out. We had to get in line and we've been in line for so long and finally we're getting it. So that's been pretty exciting. Yeah. I, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I've worked for companies that make shrink sleeves for cans. I'm like, yes, it's, yeah. it's imperfect. But at, at the time, and there was a moment where Ball was saying a minimum, the MLQ for printed cans was five truckloads per skew. It's like, how do small brands do that? You got to put a label or a shrink sleeve on it and just buy it. And there is there is an inherent level of risk that comes with that because if you have a pre-decorated can, you know, you know, you, you can know like, okay, this product is going to go in there. If you have to label that after the product's gone in, I just... There, there is some, there's just some supply chain stuff, especially when you're dealing with alcohol that you just, and juices and, you know, potential allergies and things like that, that you just got to be careful of. I have, I've heard a lot about like digital can printing for the last few years. So I, it's, it's exciting to hear that that's, that that's taking off. It'll help out in case you care to know this. I had uh, Kate Christian on, she's in Boulder, Colorado. She's awesome. She calls herself the Miss Frizzle of Recycling. And she described to me what's happened at these recycling centers and the smelters with the the advent of labels and shrink sleeves, whereas the cans are getting crushed, the film is getting stuck on the gears, and they have to sometimes shut down for hours and take a jackhammer to the gears just to get the plastic off the gears so they can keep the process going. Uh, it was it was pretty wild. It's a necessity. Like we we do we did a, a talk for a label. Um, TLMI, which is like a label body, we did a talk with them and we said, we, we understand why. We know why this is a necessary evil. We totally get it, but nobody wants it. I mean, nobody nobody's like excited about putting labels on cans, um, including the owners, all the way down to the material recovery. And as we know, aluminum is a highly recoverable uh, material. So, um, yeah. well, I, I just have a few more questions for you. Uh, and then and then we'll wrap it up. I'm curious, though. So if I'm uh, I'm guessing, let's pretend like I don't live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm back in Southern California and or I'm in I'm in, you're you're in New York City, correct? Yes. OK. Love, I love New York City. I go there often. Um, I'm a, I went to a Brooklyn Nets game earlier this year. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of the city. So I'm in the city and I'm trying to make a decision on a canned, you know, this kind of canned craft uh, spirits, mixed spirits world is, has kind of grown. So I'm looking at these things besides the incredible packaging. What really do you think differentiates Dio from some of your competitors? And why, why yeah. would somebody pick it up? No, I'm glad you asked that. I mean, I think, you know, going back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier, for me, when we were 
making deciding to go from cocktail mixes to canned cocktails if we were going to do it it had to be different and you know i am always a more is more as is bronson and so it was really for us the high abd space really interested us and i think you know that's one of our first big differentiators i mean we don't really compete with a seltzer brand and i think we have a very different use case scenario out of them but you know for me to uh I, even when we were doing the mixers, it was so important to me that we created a clean label. So no preservatives, no colors, no fillers. Um, and when we did that with the canned cocktails, even though it's not required by the TTV to put your nutritional information or even the ingredient list, which honestly, for me being new to alcohol blew me away. I was like, wait, That's crazy. So, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, they, you know, most of these seltzer brands out there, anything you look at the can, there's no ingredient list. They might tell you what they want you to know, but you don't actually know everything that's in there. And so I, you know, now that I'm like three years into this, it was really important to me that I wanted to be not only the closest thing to a fresh cocktail that you can get at a bar and offer that in the convenience of a can, um, but I, I wanted also to, you know, we spent so much time on our ingredient sourcing, making sure things were non-carcinogenic, that there was no fillers, like the process of everything. And so we're one of the only canned cocktails out there right now that lists all of our ingredients on the can and has our full nutritional panel, um, not because it's required, but just because I want it. Um, I think at the price point that we're asking for, you know, it's where we we're priced because of we've spent that much time on what is inside the can. And um, I think, you know, the last thing I'll kind of say on that too is flavor wise, I think that we do something really unique. You know, it's it, right now, the market's really heavy with classics, um, classic cocktails. And we definitely go into a little bit closer in the world of mixology. So classics with a twist. And so you know, one of our best sellers right now is a hibiscus rose French 77. I mean, it's the perfect summer drink. Um, the last thing I'll kind of mention of all of these is, you know, I, I sugar to me is it's it's a it's the main reason that I have a hangover the next day. And so when we were formulating not only the mixtures but also the canned cocktails, um, these had to be low sugar. And so that is a challenge just on its own because I think most of the stuff that you're tasting out there right now, I they don't have the sugar listed, but I can tell you it's sugar bombs. Um, and so every single one of our cans right now is less than five grams of sugar. Uh, we were using plant sweetener in this last round. I just, after two years, finally figured out a way to cut out the plant sweetener. So it's still all clean. Um, but it's now, I think our, our highest sugar per can is eight grams of sugar. So they're low calorie, low sugar, fresh juices, clean label, no preservatives, no colors, high ABV. I think, you know, it's the closest thing that you can get to a real cocktail, I think. And it's in the convenience. And my, my goal here is, you know, give people that are maybe looking to if they're hosts of their own and they you know are having people over and they're not ready to like make a big batch of cocktails this is that opportunity it can replace your nightcap um because of the clean ingredients that come into it so i think it's really kind of just i mean at the risk of sounding a little pompous i mean trying to reinvent the category a little bit uh, yeah i love it i i think that and by the way, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to demean my entire state of Utah, but we don't, we're not exactly known for our progressive alcohol laws. Here. So uh, maybe, 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 you know, people can buy it in, in Utah. I don't know, but I do think it's interesting that uh, like, as I'm processing that I'm thinking through something like naked juice. I remember once I looked and I saw the sugar content and I was like, wild, there's a ton of sugar in this. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's sugar from fruit. I'm like, is it still sugar, right? Like, I don't know what the difference, I honestly, I don't know. Um, so it's fascinating to me to be like, we have fresh juices and, and low sugar and clean ingredients. And I think there is something too, by the way, to taking that step 
and saying, okay, we know, we know we don't have to do this, but maybe we can create a little bit of positive peer pressure to say, well, I looked at this label because people look at labels all the time. I, I checked out this label. They have every ingredient listed. They have all the nutrition facts. And I looked over this one and there's nothing there. Why did, what, why does this one not have anything? You know what I mean? Like I could see that sort of positive, positive pressure coming out to where if somebody has to say, okay, this is actually what's in it. And it's like, oh, geez, we didn't realize that. Um, and maybe that's why they won't keep doing it. I don't know. I won't, I, I won't pretend to understand the intricacies of the uh, craft spirit alcohol world, but I'm guessing there's a little bit of, let's make sure that we can hide this away. I was, I was as shocked as you were just now. Cause I don't really like, Number one, I, I don't I don't consume a lot of alcohol. And number two, I don't check that stuff. So now I'm going to and now I'm really curious. So, uh, well, that actually leads me to my final couple questions here, Nick. This has been great. I love it. How do people buy, you know, Dio or, you know, you can plug Pangea or whatever you'd like to do. But wh where would people go get this stuff? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, Dio, um, you know, even though I've been at it for three years now, we, we really didn't make it in the market until earlier this year. So we just hit our, we've since July, we've closed 30 stores in New York. So if you're in New York, you can find us in Manhattan, Brooklyn, or in some places in Long Island and slowly starting uh, to creep up state. Um, but you can also order it online. We ship to 42 states. Um, I, unfortunately, Utah is not one of them. Oh, I'm aware. Uh, but, yeah, I know. <laughs> ship to 42 wine, states. These wine of the month and whiskey of the month clubs ain't happening. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so 42 states. Uh, you can get that on drinkdo.com. Also, check us out on Instagram. Also, drinkdo, D I O. Um, Pangea is also online, a few boutiques, mostly international. But uh, if you want to check out Pangea, it is Pangea Swim, and that's P A N G E A swim.com sweet and for those of you who are listening to the podcast right now uh number one you've made it 27 minutes so thank you you are my hero and uh, also if you want to go click on those show notes uh, the links will be down there you don't have to write anything down don't stop your car don't be irresponsible you can just wait and then click it if you thought that sounds really interesting i want to learn more uh, please go down in the show notes of the episode. Nick, I really appreciate you coming on here. I've learned a, a ton. I'm excited about uh, having a little part of your journey here with this lovely sleeve. Look at that. Just, It's so cool against the matte black. If you're listening yeah. to this, you don't even know where it's like the comedian who makes a joke and then gestures with their hand and everyone laughs. And you don't you know, know how long about. you know how long that sleep took too. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> least, I mean, what is that? That that was a year almost. I feel like we started working on it a year ago, right? It's like it was. Think, it was yeah. a lot of back and forth, a lot mm -hmm. of iteration, a lot of you know mistakes and learnings, and uh, it was it was cool to finally get that thing out. Um, we should probably talk. I'm going to uh, the Pent Awards um, in uh, London, uh, which is like a packaging design award show. Uh, we, should, that. Uh, we should start submitting some of these things uh together i think it's it's a really cool it's really cool and, and you deserve some some accolades for it i think so we'll uh we'll talk about that we'll talk about that offline but uh nick thanks so much everyone go to drinkdo.com pangeaswim.com uh, instagram at drinkdo and uh follow follow this journey it's a it's a cool journey and a cool brand appreciate you coming on yeah thanks Adam. Hey, congrats. You made it to the end of the podcast. 
If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.